Hi, my name is Joel Knox. I'm the senior pastor at the Vineyard Church of Brenham in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad you're interested in our podcasts. This media is completely free to you, so you can share it with anyone else, however you'd like. Our church is located at 1401 South Bluebell Road in Brenham at the corner of Tom Green Street next to the Bluebell Creamery and across from the Bluebell Aquatic Center. You can also find us on the web at vineyardbrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at Vineyard Brenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, the best laid plans of mice and men. Does anybody know the rest of that phrase? <laughs> well, it actually worked out pretty well because I, I... How many of you have seen the movie The Christmas Story? Well, I wanted to show the scene where Ralphie gets the best of Scott Farkas. Y'all remember that movie? Everybody, you're looking at me kind of funny. Well, if you remember, Scud was like the, he was like the scourge of the neighborhood. And he had this little sidekick, that, you know, a little pudgy kid that just kind of went around and, and he, he, he said a lot and, you know, and, and, and Scud was kind of the, the muscle, right? And so anyway, he picked on Ralphie, he picked on everybody and, and everybody was afraid of him. And he was always hanging around, and he was around at the wrong time. Well, the little scene I wanted to show you was, Ralphie's on his way home. He had just gotten, gotten the, the, the grade on his paper that was going to be the manifesto about the Red Ryder BB gun. BB gun. And so he, he, gets, he gets a bad grade, and he's so devastated. And so he's leaving the school, and he's on his way home, and then Scott hits him right square in the face with a snowball. And it's just one of too many things that have happened that day. And so Ralphie decided he had enough, had enough and Scott's laughing at him, and, and the, little, the little chubby guy's laughing at him. And so Ralphie just lets Scott have it. I mean, he lets him have it. And he knocks him down, and he just, he's just pounding away. And this probably wouldn't be very good to show all you kids. So it's kind of a good thing that it, I, I started thinking about it. Like all these kids start showing up and it's like, oh yeah, they're going to be in the service this morning. And then I'm going to show them a video of a kid getting beat up. And so anyway, so glad you're here today. But I'm continuing the series in the Gospel of Mark. And the title of my message, I'm going to steal from that, that scene from the Christmas story. I'm calling it Bye Bye Bully. And doesn't that kind of, the bully kid, you know, it kind of looks devilish, doesn't he? You know, that, that face, the, you know, the, and he's got the, got the raccoon, raccoon skin cap on his head, you know, and he's got the freckles and he's got braces, you know, just, just not a really good looking kid. Well, I, I saw an article this week that, what did I say? Oh, okay. Well, anyway, if, if you're if you're redheaded and and uh, and, and freckle face, I'm sorry. I, that that was I was talking about him and not about you. Uh, but anyway, um, Scott 
it was actually, uh, I, I, got a, I lost myself, Zach Ward. He's 49 years old, and he was talking about how much in royalties he gets from, from the movie, it was, which was kind of neat. But, you know, he, he's, he's remembered like this, and he actually grew into a nice-looking nice young man, and he's been quite successful, not as an actor, but as, as in another walk of life. So, anyway, before I, I keep digging a hole... The, my title is Bye Bye Bully, and I, I think we all can relate to Ralphie. I don't know about you, but from about the, as far back as I can remember, I had a bully in my life, and his name was Kip. Mom knows who I'm talking about. His grandmother lived right around the corner from my house, and whenever he come, came over to visit his grandmother, he'd come to see me. And Kip was kind of an equal opportunity bully. He picked on everybody. He was kind of bigger than everybody, and, and he, he kind of had his bluff in on everybody, and he, he was, you know, just a typical bully. Well, one day I'd had enough of Kip, and my dad, you know, I talked about my dad on, on Father's Day, and my dad told me, he said, now, I don't want you to start fights, but I want you to be able to protect yourself and take up for yourself. And so... Yeah, as it just happened to be a day kind of like Ralphie's. I had a, had a bad day, some bad stuff happened. I don't even remember now. It's been so long. But Kip did what he normally did, and I took care of myself. And the funny thing is, is that Kip and I became really good friends. We played football, baseball. I didn't play basketball. He did. And we were friends throughout high school. So, you know, that kind of had a happy ending. But in the dictionary, the definition of a bully is the noun version of the word is a person who habitually seeks to harm or intimidate those whom they perceive as being vulnerable. The verb form of the word, to seek to harm, to intimidate, coerce someone that is perceived as being vulnerable. Now, so far in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and people have responded with joy. The kingdom broke in with a demonstration of power in the form of healing sicknesses and diseases and physical deformities, as well as the deliverance of evil spirits. And as a result, people put their faith in Jesus as the Son of God. But he also faced resistance. Evil spirits continued to manifest themselves, but they proved to be no match because Jesus was the Son of God. And then the religious authorities were always trying to catch Jesus in some kind of loophole, in some kind of... of of faux pas or whatever, just so that they could, they could trip him up and keep him from, from doing what he was doing. But it always seemed like Jesus was already a step ahead of them by the time they, they, they made their move. Well, we're picking up today in Mark chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 20. One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. 
Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Satan. Satan? The prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and he responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? He asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. And let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Well, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. And he told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. Now, scholars say about this time in our text, Jesus had a few half-siblings. They don't know exactly how many, but they know that there were at least two brothers that were sons of Joseph and Mary. There is half-siblings. These siblings, their family members, didn't necessarily believe Jesus was who He said He was. And Jesus was just doing what He had been doing up until this time. He was going from place to place, teaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God. But his family had become concerned that somehow Jesus had gone off the rails. Because there were people in this time who were revolutionary. You know, they, were, they, were, they were, had, had enough of the Roman rule. And so they were trying to establish some kind of revolution, some kind of grassroots movement so that they could undermine the Roman government and maintain their freedom as Jewish people. And there's all kinds of stories in, in what's called the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament where there were, there were several revolutionaries who came along and many of them did things like Jesus one in particular actually performed a few miracles and people were thinking, maybe this guy is the, is the Messiah. And so in establishing this grassroots movement, this revolution, they, they started this little revolt. But what happened each time that they would get to a certain place, they'd get to a certain point, and then they'd run afoul of the law. They'd run afoul of, of whoever the ruling authority was. And in order to stop it, they killed the revolutionary, the head of the group. And when they did that, that was the end. There's a reference to that in, in the Gospels, that, that maybe he's just like one of these other revolutionaries. If, if we just take care of him, then it'll all go away. 
Well, for those who were on the outside looking in, that's what it looked like Jesus was doing. He had just called disciples to Himself. That was what we saw in, in our last, last passage that, that we looked at a few weeks ago. He had just called disciples to Himself, so He must be in the process of starting a revolution. Now, for those who are on the inside, they also saw it as being a revolution. They were on the ground floor of something that was about, about to happen, and whenever Jesus made His move then they would be part of the ruling authorities in His cabinet, if you will. But Jesus, in His own words, told His disciples, and He told everyone who would listen, that He wasn't building an earthly kingdom. He was bringing the kingdom of God to bear on the earth and ushering, ushering in a future rule and reign of God in the here and now or in the then and there. Jesus introduced the kingdom of God by His showing up. The kingdom had broken in to time and space. And the future rule and reign of God broke in with Jesus. That's why people were being healed. That's why people were being delivered from evil spirits. But the kingdom had not fully come. Now when Jesus returns the second time... It will be a fully present reality. That's what we teach. That's what we believe. Well, if you can imagine, at this point, you know, his, his family shows up and they think he's going crazy and they're trying to get him out of the room and they're trying, you know, it, it, he doesn't know what he's saying and they're trying to maybe cover for him because they think he's embarrassing himself. Well, the, the leaders of religious law, the teachers, somebody got this bright idea and basically said, he's not crazy. He's, he's full of the devil. He's possessed by Satan. That's why all this stuff is happening. He's full of, he's full of Satan. And so that's where he gets his power from. Really? Healing and deliverance at the hand of Satan? And these guys were supposed to be the religious authorities of the day. But they were really just amateurs. Now Jesus makes two points, and I, I want you to see these, and then I've got a third one that I want to make at the end. The first has to do with this matter of unity. Jesus said, how can Satan cast out Satan? He asked, a kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. It was a ridiculous suggestion. It really was. That Satan was somehow responsible for all the good that Jesus was doing everywhere that he went. And I just imagine this, this was coming from somebody in the back and everybody turned around and looked like, who let that guy in? But I do want to make a point about unity. Because unity makes it, it makes it possible for things to be accomplished. In regard to unity for us as followers of Jesus, it's so important 
The Apostle Paul wrote about it in his letter to the Ephesians. He said in Ephesians chapter 4, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Isn't that awesome? There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. Then the second point is in the verses that follow. It's where Jesus said, let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Now in the cosmic conflict of the ages, with the fall of man, the world fell under the control of Satan and became subject to sin and death. We know this. This is what happened in, in the account in the, in the Genesis. The name Satan means accuser. The name devil gets its meaning from the Greek language and means slanderer. In the Garden of Eden, the devil slandered the character of God to Eve and caused her to sin. We're familiar with that story. Did God really mean... Did God really say and caused her to doubt in the goodness of God and and the command that He'd given them not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Well, you recall at the the end of that, that scene, God calls all three parties together. He calls Adam and calls Eve and calls the snake. And He pronounces His judgment on them. Well, when He confronted them, He spoke directly to the serpent, the serpent, and essentially prophesied His coming end. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike His heel. Now, that description is of conflict and violence. When Jesus left the wilderness... In Mark chapter 1, he announced the kingdom of God is near. It's coming. I'm bringing it with me. And in essence, Satan was on the clock. The cosmic bully who had the world under his thumb would soon be overpowered and outmatched by the Son of God. And from that point forward, everything Jesus did in the form of healing the sick driving out demons, and even rising from the dead was part of taking back everything, everything, everything that Satan had stolen from God's people from the beginning of time. And the coming of the kingdom of God was finally in view. And we could actually see what this kingdom just might look like, where people are not sick, where people are well, where people are not crippled, where people are not out of their minds, where they can actually experience healing and wholeness and freedom that comes from God. The coming of Jesus was the beginning of the end for Satan in the kingdom of darkness. In other words, bye-bye, bully. 
Now, before I wrap up this morning, I want to look at how Jesus responded to being accused of doing the work of Satan. Verse 28 says, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. And he told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. I don't know about you, but the first time that I read that verse, it scared me to death. That there actually is an unforgivable sin. That there's one thing that God will not forgive. That's what it says in the text. When Danelle and I were, were in college, we were youth pastors at, at a church that was just a few, a few streets down from, from the college. And we were youth pastors, the, the junior high youth pastors, and there was a girl in our group. Her father was one of my professors. And so, you know, he, he was... He, he was pretty, pretty knowledgeable. I, 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 I forget where he, where he graduated from, where he went to seminary. He had been a pastor. He had been, a, been a, a professor for many years. And so this girl had been pretty well taught growing up about her Christian faith. Well, Danelle and I, you know, we just did what we always did as youth pastors. And we hung around with the kids, made them laugh, made them do stuff. Well, one particular Sunday... And her name was Bethany. One particular Sunday, Bethany came to us after, after everybody had walked out of the room, and she said, I'm struggling with my faith. Well, what are you struggling with? He said, well, why should I try in my faith to, to, to essentially pursue God when he already knows whether or not I'm going to, be, I'm going to go to hell or not? And we started talking, and we started all this, you know, and got her to un, unpack a little bit what she was thinking. And it all boiled down, essentially, to this passage. And she was afraid that she might have somehow said something or done something that had offended the Holy Spirit. And, you know, at the time, Danelle and I, I mean, we're, we're Bible college students, I mean, how do you answer a question like that? And, you know, and, and, you know when someone asks you for, for your answer, uh, I don't know, it's not really good enough. And so we, we talked with her a little bit and we prayed with her a little bit. And, and the thing that I came up with, and I think it had to have been the Lord, but the answer that I gave her was, if you're worried about it, then you probably haven't done it. And she looked at me and said, seriously, if, if, you, if you're worried about it, if you th and you're asking God to forgive you, you probably hadn't done it. Because if you didn't care about it, you wouldn't be asking this question. Well, she seemed pretty well satisfied with that answer. And, and I was just thankful that I, I told her something that left her at least somewhat satisfied when she walked out of the room. Well... In the years since, I, I've, I've done my own study, and, and I, I think I could come up a little, with a little bit better answer. But rather than try to explain it this morning, I want to read to you. Uh, it, it's an excerpt from a devotional that was written by the late R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul was a, was a pastor. He was a theologian. 
he was a, a college and seminary professor, and I think you, you might have even heard him on the radio a few times. He had a, had a radio show, and, and, uh, and he's been around a long time. He passed away in, in uh, 2017. But this is, this is how, he, how he talked about Mark chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. This passage includes one of Jesus' most difficult sayings. His identification of an eternal sin that cannot be forgiven, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Although Jesus does not specifically define his sin, the context reveals this transgression as the persistent, knowing, verbal attribution of the work of God to Satan. The scribes were sinning with their words and with statements against our Savior. Moreover, the same comment from Mark means unforgivable blasphemy is a persistent sin. The scribes spoke against Jesus not merely one time, but rather they were so hardened against Him that they continued to associate Him with Satan. Such hardness is particularly noteworthy because it came from the resident biblical experts. So we cannot understand what Jesus means by blasphemy against the Holy Spirit unless we recognize the scriptural knowledge of our Lord's opponents. Throughout His earthly ministry, Jesus held the religious leaders to a high standard. Jesus expected them to know the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament so well that they could rightly identify God's work. So with the blasphemy of the Spirit does not arise from mere ignorance. When people, know what the, when people know the Scriptures well and yet do not, or yet not only fail to recognize Jesus as Messiah, but also openly reject Him, they are standing on perilous ground. And this is what, what I'm getting to the part that, that's been up on the screen. Blasphemy of the Spirit, then, is not the occasional bad thought or an episode of anger against God. Such things are sins, to be sure, but they're not the persistent, deliberate rejection of the Lord's work that shows itself in a willful attribution of God's actions to Satan himself. Such blasphemy is unforgivable, not because the Lord is unwilling to forgive, but because the person guilty of such sin has fully and finally hardened his heart against the grace of God. That echoes the words of the writer of Hebrews where he said, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we're faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we did when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. And remember what he, it says, today when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Well, 
You know how easy it is to become complacent, to become callous, to become insensitive? It's so easy for us just to, just we, we, we see things, well, I know that. I've seen that. I've heard that before. You know, we, we, that's, that's kind of how we do it. You know, and we might be even reading the Bible and we read through and we, these, these passages that we know, well, I, I know this already. But it's so important that we keep our hearts sensitive towards the Lord. There was an old song that, that, was, that was kind of popular whenever I was a kid. Don't let your hearts be hardened. Don't let your heart grow cold. It's so easy. And this is what happened to these religious people. They had all the answers. They knew the scriptures. They knew they knew they could quote large passages of scripture. I mean, they were, you know, they were revered in their community because, you know, they had dedicated their lives to serving the Lord in terms of learning the law and and being involved in ministry before the Lord. But they couldn't recognize Jesus for who He was, and He was standing right in front of them. That's, That's a hardness. And it can happen to anybody. The writer in Proverbs said, Guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. I think that's pretty much all I can say right there. We need to protect our hearts. And that involves what we watch. That involves what we hear. That involves what we say. Because it all flows in and out through our hearts. Can we stand together this morning?